Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. In honor of Black History Month, we are dedicating February to featuring some truly inspiring Black female entrepreneurs and thought leaders. We're excited to be able to share their stories, accomplishments, and unique insights with all of you. Hi, everyone. This is Tara Williams with the Mom Manual. I am very excited today for a special guest. We have Adrienne Spires. She is a reproductive justice manager at Black Women for Wellness. Adrienne, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So our typical podcast runs with three takeaways, but today we're going to switch things up a little bit. And Adrienne is really going to give us some education. And she is going to talk about the three top educational points surrounding reproductive justice. Adrienne, can you tell everyone a little bit about being a reproductive justice manager? What does that mean? So actually being a reproductive justice manager means that we stay focused on the four tenets of reproductive justice, which is um, having the right to have a baby if you choose so, having the right not to have a baby if you choose not, bodily autonomy, and making sure that you reside um, in a community or and or an environment to ensure that your baby and your family is in a safe environment. Uh, reproductive justice has a social justice framework. So look at the socioeconomic status, the impact of um, the economy, also looking at abortion access, also looking at making sure that maternal infant health is valued and that if women and birthing people decide that they want to go through a birthing, the birthing journey, that they have everything they need to have a successful and healthy uh, birth outcome. Wow. And, and before the podcast, I said, Adrian, our podcast is, is usually very light and goofy, like how to pack a hospital bag. And today I do recognize this is a little bit of a heavier subject and there may be triggers for some women, um, but I would love to jump in, Adrian, with your first educational point. Well, the, the first point, and I, I want to share with the audience what I share with you when you said this is heavy and how sometimes, you know, this podcast has some little quirkiness to it, which is great to be a mom. <laughs> you, you have to be you know, quite quirky sometimes to do things outside of the routine or this the schedule that we think we could all adhere to, which children let us know that they're the ones in charge, not us, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I, I shared with you, Tara, was that, yes, this is a heavy subject and there's ways to um, engage in conversation, crucial com- conversations, um, where it doesn't have to be so heavy and it's not that we're making light of it, but there's some, some really good uh, positive um, things that could come out of maternal infant health, right? And if we wanted to be successful, this is where we have to address the heaviness to also make sure that maybe it won't be as heavy for some people, that we can have these light conversations and happy conversations around having a successful birthing journey. Yes. So my first takeaway is racial and socioeconomic factors that like contribute to higher rates of maternal infant health mortality in communities of color. 
One of the things that systems and institutions and the public health have, public health department has defined and has acknowledged that there is systemic racism and systemic racism has and continues to play a role in the infant and maternal mortality rate that's taking place in, in communities of color, Black, uh, among Black mothers and Black birthing people. You know, we actually um, had a doula on the podcast recently, and she told me that Black women are 10 to 12 times more likely to die during childbirth than white women. And that is such a shocking statistic in a first world developed country. And what is the why behind that? What is the reasoning? Well, some of the reasoning is implicit uh, bias. Some of the reasons also is there are some stereotypes and and other biases that um, Black women and Black birthing people can't endure more pain. So if we can endure more pain per se, according to this notion, then that means that um, some of the concerns that other pregnant women may share with their perinatal perinatal provider and or health provider may be taken more serious Mm -hmm. as with the implicit bias and these false notions and false narratives that Black mothers can endure more pain. Mm-hmm. Also, um, there's other concerns that, you know, Black women do not have uh, some of the supports that other women doing their birthing journey receive. So uh, maybe better bedside manners, maybe listening as opposed to responding so quickly, assessing the situation. Also, just taking uh, an additional look at some of the testing or some of the concerns. It's just like if you take your child to the doctor and and your child has a cold, and then they're explaining to you that they have flu-like symptoms or feelings, but they don't say flu-like symptoms. However, they share with you some of those symptoms, but not using using those specific words. And so that's some of the concerns that I do have is that when Black women and Black mothers are sharing their concerns that they do have, that it's quite dismissive from the perinatal professionals. Uh, Once upon a time, I used to work in the state of Illinois in an early childhood mental health development program as a teen parent coordinator, working with teen moms. And, you know, I used to co-facilitate prenatal groups in the community, as well as their support groups for teen moms, as well as they would have their children and we have parent-child activities. And one of the things that I noticed working with other uh, doulas and other people in the maternal and health world. This was back in, oh God, that's a long time ago. I'm, I'm aging myself. Um, this is back in 2006, 2007. And some of the numbers were not looking good for the birth outcomes for Black women. Mm. And then the narrative back then was, oh, it has to do with the lack of education. Or it has to do with their economic status. Mm. Or it has to do with the zip code, uh, the zip code where they reside. And I have so much respect and I'm enamored with this field, the Black maternal infant health field, for not allowing those narratives become the true narratives, right, or the factual narratives that became a fact sheet. And they challenged that and they pushed for more research to basically um, say, hey, there's more to this than someone's economic status or the zip code where they reside. And are those factors also contributing lack of education, zip code, economic, but it's not Um, a factor? 
I, I think that the, the contribution is so much smaller than the actual outcomes, what's, what's, what's causing the outcomes. And the outcomes are, is basically systemic racism and, and the lack of some of the services and the additional supports that other women may receive as opposed to Black women may receive, regardless of their actual um, insurance or their um, income level. I mean, there are stories out there about Serena Williams, some of the concerns that she has expressed about her birthing um, experience. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the young lady's name that used to play on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a little sister. I think her last name is Eileen. She shared her story. Um, so, and then there's a judge, she was a television judge and, and unfortunately her daughter died. And so these women have like, they are quite affluent, right? And right. for them to share some similar experience with someone that probably live, that reside in LA County, South LA County, or someone that reside in Southern states here in the United States, uh, I think that that really lets us know that it's, it has, it, it's more to do with the, the system and the institution as opposed to the economic status someone uh, carries. Yeah. That, that is very good information, um, and I don't think it's put out there a lot because I don't think the fact of this statistic is really widely known in terms of the implicit bias and these stereotypes and, you know, systemic racism, that that being really the driving reason for a higher um, both maternal and infant mortality rate versus lack of education or, you know, socio-income and zip code. So we're, we're running to get this information out there. And, and in your role as a reproductive justice manager, what do you do with this information or how are you propelling this conversation forward? What, what does that look like with your work? So we have conversations with various uh, coalitions and work groups. And we also have a policy side, uh, Black Women for Wellness Action Project, and that's the policy side. And so the policy side is a, is a great side. I'm not saying that just because I work for Black Women for Wellness. Um, BWW, that's our acronym for Black Women for Wellness, our action project. They co-authored and co-led SB 65, the Mommy Nuss Bill, the Mommy Nuss Act. And uh, Governor Newsom here in California signed that in October 2021. And that particular bill um, supports mothers during their pregnancy, during and after their pregnancy. So starting this year, Medi-Cal will cover doula care services. And you shared that you had a previous doula. And the doulas are trained companions who support people during pregnancy and at childbirth. They help with birthing plans. This app will also help eligible parents or pregnant people have earlier access to CalWORKs aid, right? Extra funding, support, um, having children, regardless of your economic status, there's some cost to it, especially if you want the best for your child, right? If you want the healthiest food or um, healthiest, some people use formula, some people breastfeed. But even if you breastfeed, you still want to make sure that you have access to the best nutrients, right? The best foods, right? Everybody can't shop at, I don't know if I could say this, Whole Foods. Everybody can't shop at those. those type of- <laughs> or grocery stores or markets that provide fresh produce, right? Uh, We know that's expensive. And especially if you're talking about breastfeeding, you want to make sure you're eating everything that will provide all the minerals and vitamins that you would need for your body, share that with your child. They will also receive pregnancy supplements. Also with this particular act, this is an opportunity 
for the community and healthcare providers to collect data and examine the roles of racial disparities in maternal deaths and severe injuries and making recommendations to prevent this, right? So that's one of the things America is known for. We are a data-driven information organization. I mean, country, we like people that have acronyms. We love feasible studies. We love study sessions. And so this is an opportunity to take a look, how do we help eradicate the mortality rate in California? And hopefully other states will try to copycat this bill and other governors will sign on to this. So being a reproductive justice manager, looking at the bills that have been passed, since we work on the C3 side and nonprofit side, we look at how do we continue to advocate and educate communities and organizations and coalitions that, that work and advocate for maternal infant health and for mothers, regardless of their age. And we also make sure that we look at a way how to make sure that the bills that have been passed are able to be put into practice. So for instance, how do we work with public health or other organizations? Um, One organization, which is an initiative, is the African-American Infant Maternal Mortality Community Action Team. And that is an initiative in South LA, working with government or civic organizations or the civic side, as well as community, and looking at how do we make sure that the, the wins from this particular act will be able to be implemented and interjected in the public health sector, community-based organizations, various organizations that work with families and making sure that people know, hey, there is an opportunity for you to be able to experience a doula. A lot of people have no idea what a doula is. Once upon a time, doulas were very expensive. I have five children. I never had a doula. And I'm just like, oh man, what was the doulas back then? So I think that's great for mothers, especially for this podcast. Doulas are very supportive, right? They need that emotional, psychological support. They need to have someone that could advocate for them. If anyone is a listener of the podcast and heard me on the last one with the doula, I, I have four children. I I thought doulas were more for a natural um, at home birth, mm-hmm. and the things she educated on us to ask, you know, when you're having the baby and different comfort measures, and you don't have to go right to an epidural. I mean, it was it blew my mind mm-hmm. and really sad for my. 25 year old self having kids, not knowing mm-hmm. my options. So yes, I am all for doulas after this. That has to be an amazing victory, a milestone victory mm-hmm. for your organization. And I think some people could mm-hmm. listen and think, okay, they've done it, but now the implementation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a whole, you, you've got kind of one part of this success and now the implementation moving toward equality in all of these public health places. And I know I have worked in hospitals for 10 years before I started Dreamland Baby, and it is never easy to make change. You know, as we're, we're talking through this, it, it struck me that some listeners may not really understand the difference between being a white woman and going to the hospital and having a baby and being a black woman and going to the hospital and having a baby. When we talk about some of these systemic races issues, and you had mentioned a couple like enduring more pain and things of that nature. I mean, is there any other things that if you, if anyone's listening here, any black women to say, Hey, this is not, 
you know, this is not a normal protocol when you get to the hospital. This is what you should be having. And here's some things to maybe look out for or things that you see as a pattern. Is there anything like that? And that's a really good question, by the way. You know, some Black mothers talk about when they do go to the hospital, they're not extended the additional care. And when I say care, additional, just things that will just be normal. Do you need anything? How can we assist you? Are you comfortable? Do you have any questions? It's like when they go in um, as a Black mother, they go in and they feel as if they're just in a factory. They're just in this cold place, right? They're here with a steel table. Uh, it just looks like a hospital. And so being pregnant is a, a, should be happy. Um, you know, still a little nervous, but it's a good nervous, uh, uh, you know, feeling nervous, but in a good way right. and not receiving some of the proper care, not being extended additional bedside manners, not being asked if they need anything, not going in detail what the procedures are, Mm -hmm. asking how do they feel, and if they do feel a certain way, that questions their level of comfort. And if they have questions, be willing to answer those questions. And those are some of the things that Black mothers don't get a chance to experience. Also, not knowing some of their options. Sometimes they are just told what the next procedure or the next steps are going to be. Not asking, are you okay with this? Do you understand this? How would you like to proceed? Mm -hmm. Do you need a moment to talk with your family or friends? Or if you have a doula, talk with your doula about it, right? Those are type of things that Black women are not being able to experience. Just the dismissiveness. Um, Those are some of the things, you know, sometimes not having access to midwives. That's another thing. You know, that's a sexy word now. And some midwives are not focused particularly for the Black community, but there are some. Um, So a lot of uh, Black women are looking to um, have health providers or perinatal providers that have a cultural lens and that has a respect and understanding of their culture. Well, and I think the um, maybe difficult piece to this as a first-time mom you don't really know what to expect. When I went to the hospital with Mm -hmm. my baby, I really had no idea how things were going to shake out in terms of, you know, am I just a person there and and the nurses and the doctors are there to do their job and it's in and out or are there Mm -hmm. extra help? So I think so much of this goes back to the education and really letting all mothers know when you get to the hospital, like this is what you should expect. If you have a question, your question should not be dismissed because the nurse has to go to someone else's room really quickly. They should take the time. They should answer, you know, your Mm -hmm. concerns. They should explain the procedures. I think in general, it's just not something that we now I had my children 2012, 13, 2015, and then 2018. So I do believe we're making leaps and strides in this whole area, but I really went in and, and I didn't, I didn't really know. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I had talked about on our last podcast that was really shocking to me, I was at a teaching hospital and they were teaching people how to put in the, the catheter for my hand. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the woman could not successfully do it and, and actually put the needle in five times before my husband stopped and said, that is enough. She's crying enough. So, you know, do you have any comment on the teaching hospitals and is that a factor in, in all of this where people are less experienced and almost experimenting on us as mothers? 
Well, I'll, I'll share my personal experience. So I am from Chicago, Illinois. Um, and so I had my first two children in Chicago. My second daughter, my second child, I had at a teaching hospital. And I am a big fan of teaching hospitals. I think on one hand, you get the best of both worlds. You have the actual doctor and then you have the resident. Right. That resident is trying their best to do everything they can to live up to the expectations of the doctor right. that they're working under. And then we also have the doctor who's the expert. So we have both experience. And I really enjoyed my experience at the teaching hospital. Good. Now, my first daughter, <laughs> she was not um, born at a teaching hospital. And this was back in 1988. And that's when I, I had a reproductive justice experience. At that time, I had no idea what reproductive justice was. Yes. I had no, no idea anything about this field, right? It was, it was more of a practice, but not a name. And I remember going to the hospital in preterm labor. My parents drove me to the hospital and the nurse told me, you don't look like or act like you're in pain. Mm. And they sent us back. They sent us, we had to exit the labor and delivery floor. And so then we drove all the way back to my mom's house. Yep. And then my water bag broke yep. and it bust. Then I had to go all the way back to the hospital. And I say that to say there was a certain demeanor she was looking for, a certain behavior that this nurse was looking for and sent me back. And then I had an actual dry labor. And I was in labor. My daughter wasn't born until 116 on, on uh, Memorial's Day, but I went back to the hospital like at two in the morning. That's a long time to be in labor. Yeah. However, they sent me away. Um, the first time because I didn't act like I was in pain. And so when I became more familiar with reproductive justice, maternal infant health, I was like, oh my goodness, I had that experience. And so my thing was, how many more women have had that experience? How many more Black women had that experience? I was really young. Yeah. And didn't even know um, because I was trying to stay calm and breathe. And I guess I should have came in and screaming and hollering at everybody and just fainting all over the place. And maybe they would have kept me and maybe they would have admitted me and assisted me doing my labor, you know, while I was going through, I mean, yeah, going through my labor pains and everything. I am concerned with some of the stories. And one thing we are going to be doing at um, BWW is having listening sessions with mothers about their experience, their perinatal experience, uh, their birthing experience, and, and looking at you know, how do we uh, and when do we start this implicit bias training? What does that look like? And wanting to have um, the voices and, and the shared experience with um, pregnant mothers and birthing people. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because, well, interesting is not the right word. Um, I guess, unfortunate, sad, but you didn't fit the criteria of what that woman defined as pain. Mm-hmm. Your, your daughter was born and she was okay, but the outcome could have been different. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that story. Can you uh, tell us you have another really awesome, and this is, I'm so excited to get into this point, but your, your second takeaway for our listeners. So uh, California released um, a ma- maternal mortality. They had a surveillance report mm-hmm. and this particular report um, basically shared during the reporting period of 1,934 women died while pregnant or within one year uh, into the pregnancy. Nearly one third of these deaths were related to pregnancy. 
Mm. So that, you know, and there's an actual report that's out there that talks about that California pregnancy related deaths. And this is dated from 2008 through 2016. Okay. Um, so in 2016, the pregnancy related mortality ratio was 14 to one deaths per 100,000 births. So just thinking about these numbers and looking at these numbers and, and, and seeing how that impact Black women, once upon a time, it was thought that Black women's death due to birth was once viewed as three times higher than white women. Latest, the latest numbers are saying it's really four to six times higher. Wow. Um, and that's very alarming to everyone. And, and there's, there's no reason why that should be. No. No. And this is another reason why mom numbers bill SB 65 is basically asking um, and put in the actual act that there's more data to be collected to take a look at what exactly is the cause and how do we address it and how do we look at action steps and how do we become more solution focused to make sure that these will decrease significantly as opposed to our mortality rate continue to increase. Right. Now for listeners that are probably like me right now and thinking this is outrageous and not acceptable. And we are in 2022 in the world's first world country, right? Mm -hmm. What can, what can we do as, you know, not everybody is a reproductive justice manager, but kind of a general person, what, what can they do? to kind of help move this toward equality? So I think um, one of the things that can be done is to support organizations that continue to advocate on behalf of the mortality rate, trying to eradicate it and decrease it. I think another thing is if there is bills in your community or in your state, speak out about that and or support the organization and or organizations that are co-leading, co-authoring or supporting it support that. Also take a look at your uh, reproductive justice organizations in your state. If you don't have one in your state, look in your region and try to be of support to them as well. Yeah. This, and, and when we talk about supporting organizations, what, what kind of things can people do to support organizations? Yeah. And then when I say support, I don't just mean monetary. I think becoming aware of the work that they're doing. And if they, you know, want someone to sign a petition, right. If they need numbers to say, we support what this organization is advocating for as far as maternal infant health, you know, they have uh, some documentation and that organization can say, hey, we have a base that is supporting this bill. Also share with your friends. Sometimes the best support and the best advocacy is initiating those conversations. You are on social media. And if you see organizations that are maternal infant health or reproductive justice organizations, share some of their posts that they have. And a lot of the social media campaigns are quick and to the point and, and very concise. Um, but very impactful. Um, and, and, and so making sure that that information is shared, but I, I really suggest for people to contact reproductive justice organizations in their communities or their state uh, or maternal infant health and, and see how that particular organization would like for them to be of support as well. Yeah, just really reach out and ask. 
Adrian, this has been so informative for me and I hope our listeners took a lot away from it. I have a whole page of notes and action items. You know, any last thoughts for, for anyone listening that either wants to get involved or just learn more, any places they should go to um, research or, or look and gain information? Yes, yes. So first I would like to say that when we all envision pregnancy, and birthing, we always envision people wondering if they should buy pink clothes or blue clothes, right? We also think about baby showers. We think about wanting to write um, this, have this baby journal, things that we want to write to our babies uh, while they're in our womb, right? Uh, books that we are, <laughs> it's very interesting, Ben Amon, we become very selective of the book that we want to read to our babies that's in our womb, right? Um, and so thinking about pregnancy, and the joys of birth and bringing in a new life into this world. I would like for everyone to just really think about if that does not come to pass, you know, getting that information that you are with child. You know, that's what they used to say when my grandmother and mother used to say, you are with child. That is a happy moment. But imagine if people enter into that moment happy, envisioning what their future is going to be. Like we think about, when we know that we're pregnant, we're trying to figure out what college our children are going to go to, right? What sport are they going to play? Yep. Are they going to be able to sing like a family member? Are they going to have certain temperaments? Uh, which particular genes will they have? Will they have the father's genes, the mother's genes? You know, thinking about the gene pool, right? There's so many things that go into our minds when we're thinking about being a mom or, you know, this new family. And thinking about families that did not get a chance to follow through with what they envisioned or what they thought parenthood was going to be or all the books that they were reading and figuring out things that they shouldn't eat even though they were craving for them, but they knew it wouldn't be healthy for them and the baby, right? But not able to follow through with that birthing journey. And especially if the birthing journey has something to do with implicit bias or the lack of support from their perinatal professional, Let's think about how do we support people that were very excited about their pregnancy and their pregnancy did not end in a manner that they ever envisioned. Okay. I don't even know some people when I see pregnant women, I smile because yeah. I just know the joys that it brings, right? And so I would like for us to think about how can we help ensure that new life continues to be something that we can all envision that will happen and that we could hear the pitter-patter of their feet, right? Or their cries at night. And being able to have those revealing parties. Let's, oh. let's think about how can we ensure that every person that decides to have a baby and go through their birthing journey can follow through with their reveal party. And when the baby comes, they can reveal that they have a bouncing baby boy or a bouncing baby girl. And sometimes both. <laughs> and wanting to make sure that we can ensure that. And the best way to ensure that is to support organizations and people that are trying to make sure that whatever the Mommy Nuts Act consists of and that we support those organizations that want to put this act and everything that comes along with it into practice and support other maternal infant health organizations and reproductive justice organizations. That was so, so well said, Adrian. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, I do have one last thing. We always, mm -hmm. we're going we're gonna to leave it on a fun up note. We do a mm -hmm. fire round. 
So our guests can get to know you a little bit better. So what are you currently binging on TV? I am binging. This is us. I love that show. That's what I'm watching right now. I, I, I don't know if it just came out or what, but um, I have been watching it and that is heavy. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm like emotionally drained after mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's uplifting. Uh, it's a good one. How about it is. what's the most recent book you've read? You know, I have to say I'm in the process of writing a book, so I haven't been reading as much. But the last book I read was Say It Louder. Tiffany Cross, Say It Louder. Tiffany Cross. So she is. A, yeah. So she is the host of um, the MSNBC morning show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Okay. And so it's, it's really, it's a great, great book. Say it louder. Say it louder. I like it. How about your um, best productivity app? Listening to music. Is that considered productivity? Yeah, for sure. Um, YouTube. I love it. I listen to a lot of music on YouTube. I can find anything from the seventies to the eighties. My husband and I was just listening to heart the other day. Okay. Um, that was a, that was a great group in the eighties. And then I like, I'm from Chicago. So I like listening to a lot of house music. So I listen to a lot of house music and gospel music. Yes. YouTube for sure. It's, it's a top one. How about um, your go-to de-stressor? Um, I don't have to say music. I like loud music. So some of my neighbors may think there's a teenager in my house because I like loud music. So that's, that's a de-stressor for me. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Adrian. thank you again for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. And thank you so much for the invitation. Um, And I am really happy that you guys exist um, and that you're talking with moms. There's so many things we could talk about as moms. And I'm sure there are some subject matters that we don't even think about until you guys bring it up. So thank you for your platform. Thank you. Have a great day.